There's got to be an explanation to all these UFO sightings, right? Hey, it's Stephen Diener, host of the Unidentified Alien Podcast. And whether you're new to the conversation or have been looking into it for years, you need to check out the fastest growing alien show out there, the Unidentified Alien Podcast, or UAP for short. There's a crazy amount of alien encounter stories out there from all over the world. And the beauty of it is that I bring them all to you and let you decide what you believe. Download and subscribe to UAP on any of the major podcasting platforms. And you can also find it on UAPpodcast.com. Yes, yes. Welcome in to the HomeLoanExpert.com studios. My name is Tim McKernan, and welcome to the Tim McKernan Show. Alongside my executive producer, John Seymour, welcome to another edition of the show. And I, I think this one uh, is going to be one, uh, people, whether you're a hardcore blues fan or hockey fan, uh, you're going to really enjoy. I, uh, I, I'm sometimes hesitant to say that, but... This was one that while we were doing the interview, I thought, man, this is just, this is, this is damn good stuff. And that's a credit uh, to Chris Kerber, our guest today. The Blues announcer has been with the organization. Uh, he was hired uh, in 2000 and he has been with the organization uh, really his first season, even though he wasn't uh, the full-time play-by-play guy at the time uh, since the Blues went to the Western Conference Finals in 2001 and lost in Game 5 uh, to the Colorado Avalanche. But it goes all the way through the highs and lows and recent highs the organization has experienced. He has been there. And for my money, uh, he is uh, part of uh, one of the best broadcast teams you will hear. I love the chemistry that Chris Kerber and Kelly Chase have. Uh, so... In today's edition, you will hear the backstory on Kerber going from uh, St. Louis in school to the minor leagues of hockey and then getting the dream job. Not only an NHL job, but his hometown team's job, his appreciation for his job, his mindset on calling a game, and uh, the passion he has for the Blues the city of St. Louis and the game of hockey. We also get into uh, some recent Blues history on games he's called and um, and what it would mean to him to be on the call of a Blues Stanley Cup win. It's just a damn good interview, and that's a credit to Chris Kerber. I can tell you this. Anytime we get done with one of these interviews, I ask uh, the Sea Monster. I say, what do you think? And he said, on this one, he goes, I think this is the best one yet. And uh, we've had some good ones, but uh, this was something else. So uh, settle in and uh, enjoy it. It's Chris Kerber, live from the HomeLoanExpert.com studios here on the Tim McKernan Show. And we always remind you, if you're a supporter of the podcast, please make sure that you are doing business with our studio sponsor, Ryan Kelly, online at the HomeLoanExpert.com. I don't think people realize how much money is there to be saved if you're going to refinance right now. With 15-year rates in the twos, you certainly can get a 30-year in the threes, and Ryan Kelly can make that happen for you. Call him at 1-800-991-6494. That's 1-800-991-6494. Check him out. Uh, a really good website that can give you an idea uh, right off the bat of what your numbers would be, and that's the homeloanexpert.com. 
My family has been doing business with Ryan Kelly for years. I can wholeheartedly recommend Ryan Kelly and the HomeLoanExpert.com team to you. If you are a fan of the podcast, the name of the game is supporting the sponsors. And Ryan Kelly was one of the first people on board with our podcast at the HomeLoanExpert.com. Another sponsor on this show is Gateway Buick GMC, I-270, McDonald Boulevard in the St. Louis area, stlouisbuickgmc.com. Gateway Buick GMC is where we've been getting our cars for years, and we can recommend them to you because we know the caliber of vehicles they have, both new and used, but also 38 service bays to serve you, a certified elite service department in the St. Louis area. If you need to get your car fixed, or if you're in the market for a new or used car, head to I-270 and McDonald Boulevard, or go online at stlouisbuickgmc.com. It's Gateway Buick GMC. So without further ado, a conversation that, like I said, whether you're a hardcore blues fan, hardcore hockey fan, or just a fan of somebody who had a dream, went through the grind to get there and is now enjoying it and still incredibly appreciative 18 years in, I think you're going to enjoy our interview with blues play-by-play man, Chris Kerber. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Is this good? Former student? <laughs> yeah, well, I've been finding out. I didn't know that he was a... Uh... I was trying to dig into my memory banks, but it was nine years ago. So... God, it was a while back. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, what were you doing? I might just be starting here, by the way. So, yeah. for the record. Uh, uh, so, you were teaching broadcasting to the Sea Monster? Uh, Broadcast Center? Yeah. they. Uh, it, it happened during that the old, uh, the old 405 lockout. Um, and they called me up and said... Would you be interested in doing this? And we got some students that want to learn about it. I would, sure. So once a year for about, it might have been six, five or six, seven years, um, when enough interest to put, they put a class together anywhere from, you know, nine to 12 people. And we did kind of like a six week. It started out as a six week, like it was a play by play class. But, and, and I say this very respectfully to the students in there. It really morphed into a, here's a broadcasting reality class. Here's how the real world works in this business. That is a very important class. Yes. That and is not taught at the University of Missouri Journalism School. No, it's not taught anywhere. Yeah. Okay. And it's, this is, it's one of the things with all the, uh, well, you see it all the time with interns. Okay. There, there's, they, they come out, there's a little wide-eyed and there's not a real understanding of the reality. So somebody comes out and you go, you go spend all this money and you get a sports management major somewhere. Okay. And they're okay. Well, you're not just going to say, well, I've got a sports management major. And uh, so I'm going to go apply for a job with the St. Louis Blues and walk through the door and make $125,000. You know, it just, it just doesn't, it just doesn't work that way. Um, And so that's what the class kind of started. So we literally, the first class, I'd look at everybody and say, okay, because we're dealing with people that were, some were college age, some were frankly older, looking at a second career, right? And I'd say, okay, give me your business cards. And everybody would look at me like I was nuts. I'd go like, just because you're not working for somebody doesn't mean you can't have some form of identification for somebody to remember you by. I go, you never know when you're going into a restaurant, right? And you meet a, you know, you just ask, hey, who's, who's your general manager? I'll bring him over and say, hey, here's my card. I'm a broadcast student. I'm just trying to get in the business. If you've got... You know, if you do any kind of ads, maybe I could read those ads for you. You know, I'll trade you for a couple of lunches. But now all of a sudden, now you've got an ad that you've read for somebody, if you know you know the guy. And, and so we started with that, and then we'd have them do play-by-play. Uh, 
of sporting events, you know, uh, off the uh, TV and stuff. And then I'd listen, I'd critique it, we'd work on stuff. So it, it became a six-week crash course in broadcasting reality. I think that's, I, I always say that when people, because I'm sure I can't imagine the number of emails you get or somebody saying, hey, my son or daughter is interested in getting into the field, what would you tell them? And I always tell them, and I think where I'm coming from in my wing of broadcasting is probably different than yours, but maybe it's not. What I became aware of when I was at KMOV is my absolute irrelevance to the station. And I don't say that in a self-deprecating way. It's almost anybody who would be there in that anybody, the moment I say to Alan Cohen, the general manager, I need a 15% raise, which might sound somewhat conservative to people. I have no idea. He's going to go, okay, there's a, there's a guy in South Dakota or where you came from in Little Rock who would cut off his left hand and come here for 15% less than you're currently making. Right. And it does not impact my bottom line. You've got to build up some kind of cachet. Absolutely. And And you have to have an impact on the bottom line. And there are a handful of people in the market who do that on play by play. I don't, I don't, how much impact to the bottom line does a broadcaster have? So that's where I'm coming from. Well, because so, people are going to be listening to the Blues games. They might be pissed, though, if the guy they love listening to isn't there. Our job. Yeah, well, maybe. Yes. <laughs> but to your original point of irrelevance, if I wasn't doing the Blues games tomorrow and somebody else was, guess what? The games are still going to happen. <laughs> they're not going okay? to call it off. <laughs> right. And whether they like my replacement or not, if there's masses, they don't really like my replacement, they're going to turn around and find the next guy. Yeah. Um, so you have... I don't think it's different in this business versus any business. You have to find a way to be relevant. You have to find a way to bring value. You have to find a way to connect. Now, I do believe, I have a belief when it comes to play-by-play, and that is that a lot of teams, a lot of networks nowadays don't, and I, and I understand when I say this that I am a play-by-play guy, so it sounds a little self-serving, but mm-hmm. but it, it really is bigger picture than this. I, I don't think they... I think the care for the quality of the play-by-play and the broadcasting is nowhere near the level it used to be and nowhere near the level it should be. I have to ask immediately why. Why is that? Because if you go around and... And understand when you're listening to a sporting event, it becomes very personal. Broadcasting is a personal business. We're we're talking into a microphone, and I can't see who's listening. Um, But even as as we do a podcast, we don't know who's clicking on it, right? But as they hear you more, as they learn your sense of humor because you're using it on the air, uh, they either start to relate to you, you know, that's why people come back and want to listen to your show again, right? And, And frankly, and you know this, they think they know you when in reality, they don't know a darn thing about you. Okay. Um, I, I, what, I, what I think has happened is because of the bottom lines of it is just the actual quality of the art of calling games just isn't what it is. And, and you go through and listen. Like listen to, listen to a lot of college football. Like listen to the local broadcasts, right? Um, and you know, when there's a touchdown and guys are yelling and screaming their head off and you're going, that's not broadcasting (laughs) that just, just because you're yelling and screaming, you know, touchdown, 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 right. 
That doesn't make it a great call. I have to tell you, I like this because now you're providing me with a tangible example. And I go, yeah, I agree. And well, the I color think guy in, part- in football jumping over the play-by-play guy all the time. So the guy's going, you know. And almost he, weeping in the background. He's making he's making a great call, you know, 25, 15. And you hear the guy drowning him out going, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're like, hey, you know, and, and, and so – Again, being in it, I have to, but I actually care about the technical side and, and the quality of that broadcast. And, 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 you know, sometimes it's voice quality. Sometimes it's, it's how you do it. And, and, and over time it goes there. But, but there is an art to broadcasting. Okay. That, that's why not everybody does it. Somehow you're, you know, you've translated from TV to radio and created a, terrific business career for you through this, but you have found a way through a microphone to get people to relate to you. That's the only way you can be successful. Um, it takes some time. It takes some understanding and it takes work. You, when you're doing, and you know this, when you're doing a show, whether it's a play-by-play of a broadcast or whether it's a daily show like you do, you don't just walk in, sit down and say, let's just go put a show together. There's planning, there's work, there's preparation. If you don't aren't prepared for what could happen during the thing, you get exposed. And um, I, I just, I, I think that we think, and, and, and I wonder if a lot of this has come because we'll just take any athlete that used to play and put them on the air, mm-hmm. right? You know, and these athletes then quickly rise, holy cow, maybe I should have to work at this because I can't always say when I played, you know? And what'll happen is you can get away with that for a while, but then some of the players they played with have disappeared you know, some yes, things, some things have that. changed. I agree with And then that. all of a sudden, yeah. they don't understand that going into the room with a notebook and jotting things down and preparing and asking questions that are relevant to that game are there. And the ones that make it, say, from a former athlete standpoint, are the ones that understand this is actually a job. Mm-hmm. It's actually a career. And you have to work at this like you had to work at um, at your career as an athlete. Yeah. And Because when you just sit down and just try to do it, Man, you miss some stuff, and you're not as entertaining, you're not as sharp, and you're not as informed as you need to be. Why do you think, well, I mean, obviously this is a self-serving, but I'm, I'm supposing that, of course, we all accept this as truth. I truly feel this way. I've said it on the show, whether you've heard it or heard that I said it, who cares? It's what I think, uh, that you and Chase are just an incredible broadcast team. Even if I have very little interest in an October game and I'm driving around, I just like to listen to you guys because it's... Because it is the personalities, but it, it, I also find, and maybe I'm wrong on this, and maybe you would disagree with this, I feel like you guys are critical. Not in the, you know, Twitter message board, angry, personal style, but you are critical. There's clearly humor, and it's informative and entertaining. It's just, it's it's a great broadcast, and I don't feel that way about every broadcast. I really feel, why do you think that that, if it does, if you do, I mean, of course, what are you going to say? It doesn't work, but why does it work? Uh, We're in the entertainment business. We're entertaining through sports. There's 82 hockey games. There's 162 baseball games. If you just, it's just puck, 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 and, and you don't infuse personality, you don't infuse fun, you know, it, 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 you don't pull the listener in, into you. Um, and, and again, going back to that personal side, they have to make anybody listening to a broadcast of any kind. That listener has to make the personal choice to push that button on their radio saying, I'm going to hear you. 
It's, it's not like you're at the dentist and you're stuck with whatever's right. coming through. They're making a personal choice. They're, they're making a personal choice to turn you on at night, whether it's TV or radio, and, 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 and listen to it. Um, chemistry works. Uh, Chaser and I have just had great chemistry from the start. You can't create it. It's I, either there or it's, it's not. We've had broadcasts in St. Louis— yeah. And it's, it wouldn't be fair to name names, but where the two people just didn't get along. And unfortunately, people might not know they're not getting along, but they can sense something isn't necessarily right. And it does translate to the air. But you guys... You have to prepare for what makes them strong. If I would... If, if you look at my scorebook on a, on a regular basis, okay? My scorebook, I think, would look very different in certain areas, if I was doing a game with Darren Pang versus if I was doing a game with Kelly Chase. Interesting. Yeah. Because yeah. There, there are certain ways that I will always prepare to feel prepared. But if I work with Darren Pang for a couple games, and he's, he's done a couple preseason games with me, right? Knowing how he prepares and things he really delves into, I will broadcast a certain way to help match that to pull out some of his strengths. The, the great thing about Kelly Chase when he's on the air is that you just, sometimes you just don't know what's going to come out. And, but what he does do, and frankly, I think he does this better than anybody. He can describe a play and say it in a way that could make a non-hockey fan understand it. And frankly, I mean, just enjoy it. And, you know, we'll, I, I will throw, I mean, the other night, the Halloween game. Now, this is just my quirkiness, right? But, you know, the off the ice crew scraping the ice that skates out during intermission, there's a guy dressed as Waldo. And I'm sitting there thinking, like, how old is that outfit? And this is what I'm thinking as I'm waiting for the, the game to start back up. Like, who right now, at this point in time, says this is going to be a great costume? Like, like that's just old, you know? And, and so this is... I'm not thinking about the hockey game. I'm thinking this. So as the we get back and we come out of the break, I just, and I don't, the chaser doesn't know I'm about to do this. I just throw it at him. I go, you know, there's a guy down there dressed as Waldo. I go, when was the last time a new Where's Waldo book came out? Because I know the ones I have at home for my kids, like, I already know where Waldo is. Right? And, and chaser goes, well, uh, once again, you got me, you know, like, and we have, and, and you just kind of mix, mix those things in, uh, you know, and, and sometimes you like, but that's, it, it, it is just a personality thing. And, and, and he'll respond to it. You know, um, this, this is, this one's classic. Uh, we, we get the drop-ins that we read. Okay. And this, this was early on, you know, we were, we were put together the, the year after he retired, right? So we, yeah. we were put in the booth in 2000, 2001. So this is fairly early on in there, you know, so for those first uh, four or five years. And we get a, uh, we get a live read that we're supposed to do. And it's for some divorce attorney firm. <laughs> All right. And, and I, I just didn't like the way the read was. So I actually, I went into my boss's office. And this is year one. Uh, th this would, this, this would have been, going? yeah, this would have been, uh, this is somewhere like in like, like probably that 02 to 04 range. All somewhere right. in but, there. So you don't have okay. necessarily the juice that you have now right. to go in and start saying, Hey, I want to change copy. Right. But, but I walked in and, and I just didn't like it. Like, like actually personally, I didn't like the way this read. This is, it felt to me like I was promoting divorce, <laughs> not, not helping, not, not 
you know, and, and, no, again, now it was just a complete personal thing. Okay. And I went in and I said, I don't like to read this. It kind of feels like, and, and I love the response. I, I was told, I don't care. Read it. And I go, okay. You know, I said my piece. I'll, I'll read it. Okay. So anyhow, we're, we're doing this and, 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 and there was somebody at the, at the station that, that unfortunately was going through one. Okay. And I read this on the air. I read the ad and Chaser looks right over to, at me and says, Curbs, I smell a trade. <laughs> and I just, you know, and we just lose it, you know, on the air. But it's, but it's those kind of things. Cause if you were and sitting, he's probably right, by oh, the way, he might've been, <laughs> but, but it's those kind of, it, it's, it's those kind of things that, uh, any listener can relate to. Uh-huh. And you know what? So you miss while you're laughing. You miss a couple of plays. Heck, every now and then we might even miss a goal. Those are rare, but it happens. Uh-huh. Uh, but you're entertaining and, and you get people coming back. And and it takes work on the part of both the play-by-play guy and the color guy to make that work because it can go south. Yeah, It uh-huh. can go south. Yeah. Uh, you spend a ton of time with, with the people you travel with. And frankly, during a hockey season, to make the case, I spend more time with hockey people than I do with my own family. Uh, and, and so like any relationship, it takes some work and every now and then takes a, uh, we need to check some things at the door here yeah, and stuff, but it's, but it's a fun, like I, I hit this, you know, the other night during the game, I'm like, I just, I freaking love game days. I love that hour before a game. I love the prep. And then when that puck drops or, you know, I've done, I, I got lucky enough in 06 to do four Cardinal games, uh, you know, when, when that, that pitch comes in and you, boom, you're on, yeah. you know, you're performing and, and, and it's, it's just an awesome feeling. Well, that's great to hear. And not that I would expect otherwise, I, I, I sense that in you that, that you're so passionate about it anyway, but I mean, it is what, 17 seasons? That yeah, this actually, is 18 now. 18 seasons yeah. to still have that. Cause sometimes the cattle make reference to, uh, and I, granted the baseball season is twice as long as far as game days, but still, I mean, you're still going to skates and you're seeing guys at practices and you're around the rink. Uh, so it's not like it's necessarily a quote-unquote off day where you're out on the golf course just because the team isn't playing, but that guys just become miserable. And even though they're covering the game, they don't necessarily enjoy covering the game, a job that on the outside looking in, of course, you and I are aware of some of the business elements that can make the business difficult. Right. But many people would love to have the job of just going to Cardinal games and writing about them or broadcasting about them, whatever the case might be. Here you are in your 18th season here, and it, I mean, hell, you just essentially wrote a poem verbally right there. Well, you, you remember back in, uh, oh, was it, was it 02, you know, that you were traveling with us out to the Vancouver for oh, the I playoffs? Said, I just spit, up, spit all over the 03. hell. What the hell am I having a, I think I'm yeah. having a stroke, Kurt. Um, 03, Vancouver, yeah. okay. three, three to one, the team right. got sick. Right, so we have, oh yeah, yeah, I still think it's because of the way we traveled. It, I, I do remember that. I do, right. Because remember, we, we stayed in Vancouver after the games, and yet we, would, I, I yet we flew out right after the same. Like, it I wore specifically remember that. It now, KMOV out. flew me to Vancouver, and I specifically also remember having a stop in Phoenix, which right. I thought was an odd route to get to, to get Vancouver, to Vancouver yeah. when, you look at, when you look at a map. But nonetheless, I did fly back with the team, and I recall that we stayed there overnight, but then would fly out in the morning to head back to St. Louis. And then after home games here in St. Louis, we fly out right away. Right and, and I, and I think, I think, cause I know how I felt, how exhausted I felt during that series. I didn't play a damn game. Um, team was sick as can be. And they, and they all got sick and, and, and the rest is history. And, uh, but the point was like, so we're in Vancouver, right. And we're at, 
We're all out. We all went out to dinner at one of the restaurants in that gaslight district, right? And and, and we're I having a great this. time. I can picture okay? them. Right? We're we're having a great time, you know, and then okay, so you go out. Now there there's that enjoyment of the road and, and it's fun. And the camaraderie and and you know, but you're on the road. It's still on the road. You're not home. Mm-hmm. You know, you're not taking care of some things maybe you have with the kids, or you're not taking care of, you know, frankly, a, a, a you know, a fixing a light switch that needs to be like things like that. And and over the course of a season, it can get long. And anybody that travels for a career, there are people that travel five days a week, yeah. right? Sales, okay. Their travel is so much harder than anything that happens in sports because sports now is all charters. You're staying in yeah, great. Anybody that complains about traveling in pro sports, right, should be taken out and caned. Okay, because while you're going to have major league sports, yes, pros, but we well, professional. Uh, there needs to be there's a, there's a difference. Yeah, there's there a difference, is. and we could talk plenty of right yeah, the bus I'm stories. Sure you okay, can tell me about but that. but yeah, at, at this level, um, because all you got to do. And, and and this is more my approach to a day. Uh, I just, when you get up in the morning, it's, what did I do today that helped make a difference to somebody? Okay. And, and did you do enough? And, and some, it's, it's, sometimes it's little things, but in, in sports, it, the way we travel and the way things are, yeah, it is a grind. And you're working. Game days can be 17-hour days, the way you look at it, by the time you get up. Mm-hmm. And then, then with kids, you know, the, you know, you're getting them on the bus in the morning and, and all this stuff, and they don't care. They need, you know, dad to be, you know, where you need to be. Um, all you got to do is just think about the guy that has to go through security at the airport. He's traveling for a career. He's traveling five days a week. Doesn't have some of the perks that, that you've got. And it's Keep that perspective grounded. Never forget where you come from. Yeah, uh, but it doesn't change the fact that it's the road and it gets long. And you do, you have to, you you will at times just be tired, and you'll have to fight that negativity that that can creep in. You know, because you're like, oh man, I'm just I'm done right now. Like I'm fried. You know, and and you've got to the schedule keeps going. Yeah. Now, if we think of that as broadcasters, and I'm listen, I'm sure it happens. There's some mornings you get up to come in and do the show in the mornings, and you're going. Oh man, a back-to-back day off would be really good uh-huh. right about now, right? Uh-huh. Okay, but the players out there are expected to be at a hundred percent all the time, and we all know that we never are on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. So it, it, that's just the perspective and how you battle through some of those moments where the grind starts to wear at you. Yeah, yeah. Like that baby, that baseball grind. I'm. 162 games, 32 straight days. I mean, that that stuff is tough. Yeah, and then you factor in if you are down in Florida. Grant, you're in, you're in Jupiter, Florida. I mean, my God, how great is that? Or you're in Arizona, whatever the case might be. But still, it adds a couple of months to the whole Listen, thing. Listen, you like Las Vegas. I love Las okay. Vegas, sir. So we go out I'm to Las Vegas. I'm jealous of the fact that I couldn't be on that trip two weeks ago. Right. Now, here's the, here's the perspective. It was really cool to go out there and realize we've just landed in a new city, and this is now another, you know, on the, on the tour. Right. And so many people are just excited. Like it's Las Vegas, it's Las Vegas, man, you're going out to Las Vegas. You're going out to Las Vegas. Well, we're going out to Las Vegas to work. Okay. To, to, to do a hockey game. Um, and, and, and I looked and I'm, and I'm serious about this. I just said, it's another stop. Now there's more to do. I went and saw Ron White, freaking awesome, right? It was absolutely. <laughs> he put on a nice clinic. It was absolutely awesome, right? And uh, you know, so it was it was neat to have that kind of entertainment option, right. 
you know, and, and, and that is the cool part about that trip. But to me, it's like, ah, it's another hotel and it's another hockey game. Yeah. And we, here's what my job is to do. And, and, you know, and, and so it's not like you're going out there on a three day bender and, you know, and stuff. So yeah. you sat at the table, you played some poker as you know, and, and, and you have some fun oh, you with play. it. Oh yeah. And where'd uh, you guys stay? Can I ask this? Can I officially ask this? Uh, I probably should. We're, we're staying right next to a couple of really good casinos. Okay, very okay. nice. <laughs> All right, yeah. Um, but we're right on the strip. Okay, you know, you're right on the strip because they, they did it right. The NHL did. They had that building was built right across oh, yeah. from Monte Carlo yeah. there, and yep, you know, know, right near New York, New York, mm-hmm. and it was. So it was. It, it's a. It's a cool. Um, it's a cool thing. But it, at some point, it's it's another road trip. It's still when okay. it gets down to it, work. Right. Yeah, and I understand. And you have to you have to do your job. And to our point earlier, talking about it, the fans deserve you bringing that focus and quality. At you know, in they're listening, they're expecting it, and you owe it to them. And and then frankly, you know, me, Chaser, heck, even like we owe it to the greats that were in our booth before us to uphold a standard that they set because broadcasting in St. Louis, to me, carries a lot more weight than broadcasting in a lot of other cities. And it's because of the the, the ones that came before. It's because of the bar that they set. It's because of the expectations of what the quality you listen to that we owe it to the guys before us and to the fans listening to bring that every night. What a cool thought. I haven't really thought of things that way as far as play-by-play goes. But, yeah, when you do think of the legacy, both with the Blues and the Cardinals, I mean, that's powerful. There aren't too many markets that would be able to put that down. Well, and but but you have to go even, you know, you go to the, the usual names that everybody in St. Louis goes to, you know, but there's there's Bob Costas starting out. There's what Dan Deardorff did after his playing yeah. career. There's... You know, it is, it is Jack Buck, and 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 it's Mike Shannon, and and I think Mike Shannon should be. He, people need to listen to. It's a different style. It's not. It, it wasn't the traditional way, but you know, like, but became a voice of generations. You know, of, of expectations. Like you, 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 you listened for what was what was going to say, and you, and you still do. Um, and and that that moves on even to, you know, to to. To John Kelly, having you know done some blues play by play, and then leaving to Tampa and Colorado, mm-hmm. then coming home, um, you know Ken Wilson, you know was as smooth a broadcaster as there was, uh, and, and and the fans appreciated that. Well, it's your job to to carry that. Part of it is just you want to do it as best as you can, mm-hmm. okay, and you're never satisfied. But uh, but the other part is is. And I, I think when you look at it like that, Tim, and you go, you, you understand the heritage, understanding the history and understanding a heritage and taking it personally to uphold what those did before you, I, I think it keeps you grounded. Yeah, yeah. And, and you know, because like you'd said earlier, there's another guy that would love to have oh, my job. Oh, in a heartbeat. You know? And I sometimes I'll think back if I am ever being pissy, although doing the morning after and only fortunately in these days having to do the morning after, I love doing it. I mean, I love doing it. But when I was starting out, it was initially television. And my goal when I was in Little Rock, my first TV job, I just wanted to get to St. Louis by the time I was 30. And I was fortunate enough to get to St. Louis when I was 23. So if I take myself back to then when I was miserable, hated it, like, hey, 
you know, pull yourself up here, brother. You know, things have gone pretty damn well. You know, quit your bitching. You know, yeah. essentially, play by play, though, local news and I guess to an extent sports talk radio to have a show, fortunately, that, that's been on for a while and is as fun as the one that we get to do each morning. That's one thing. Play by play is even tougher because there's a finite number of jobs Right. And so often, and you, I'm sure you, I'm sure you could rattle off every single play-by-play and color team. These guys have been there for years and aren't going anywhere anytime soon. So, for example, and I would imagine you got a chance to know him, Brian Ray, uh, who was a producer for us, I guess about four or five years ago. Usually, with our producers, with the exception of the wonderful Sea Monster, who's in the room here with us, who's uh, of course, a great producer, but they're usually on our show kind of guys we just like joke around with, you know, the right. Howard Stern, Gary Delabate, Baba Booey type thing, you know, uh -huh. totally ripped from that playbook. And then we had no idea what Brian Ray's aspiration was, which was to be an NHL play-by-play -play guy. And we just happened to pull some audio, like one of the first shows he was producing. And we're like, oh my God, this guy's good. We can't make fun of him. He's way more talented than we are. We need to <laughs> shut up. But then at the same time, I'm thinking... He's here producing for us because he can't even get a minor league gig. Forget about an NHL gig. So along those lines, take me back to where you were. Because I don't know. I know you were in Birmingham and I know you yeah. got to come home. But there's a decision we all make in this industry to decide to even pursue it. And when it gets down to it for as much hell as I'm sure you've been through, uh, I certainly have been through, when it gets down to it, in this business, we're kind of lottery ticket winners Gotta get mathematically. Hundred percent. Yeah, right. it's, so, it's so timing you, and it's luck. Yes, you, it is. It is. In uh, but like you know, you you make your own luck. Okay, if you're not prepared and you don't work at it, you're going to get bypassed. So yes, you have to get lucky, but you put yourself in position to take advantage of it when that door opens up, and that's the one thing people have to always remember. You make your own opportunities. Yeah. Um, I was, I did, I, I, I'm a marketing major. I had a business major, a business degree for at Miami of Ohio. Um, I did that and got that in case I stunk behind a microphone. But the whole idea was I wanted to broadcast sports. I knew going. So into you college. knew that, then you knew going into Miami, I knew, which has I knew, a very good communication school. I looked at Miami, Ohio. Yeah, but right? I didn't. I didn't go communications. I, I, I didn't. I didn't go the communications route. I actually, I went. So that was smart. I went that was pure a business. savvy play at 17 or 18 years old. That was a savvy play. Yeah, and well, and that was that was my mom's guidance with my dad as well. Because tip of the cap, then. I went to uh, I I got a business background. I've used that marketing and business background, and to this day, in my current role with the team, using it more than you would ever imagine for a play-by-play -play guy. Um, but you know, I worked worked for the student radio station. Eventually, became sports director. Uh, and then, and then, general manager of that student radio station, Chris Rose. Um, oh, really? Uh, Chris Rose uh, kind of helped pave the way too. Because so Chris, Chris Rose, Miami, Ohio guy. I yeah, didn't know Chris. That. Uh, so we're Chris, talking about a guy we see on Fox. He's called yep. all kinds of. Chris things. actually really was the impetus and one of the guys that got the is sports. He your age? Well, I don't even know how he's, old he's. Yeah, he's he's my age. Okay. He was a. We're, we're the same age. He's a. He was a year ahead of me from a school standpoint, and um, uh, so Chris Chris actually got kind of the sports department really rolling at WMSR, the student radio station, and really helped structure it. So um, he and I did basketball, football games and stuff. And then I started doing some hockey games and uh, and then eventually took over as general manager and of the radio station my senior year. Well, I made a contact, the, the Doug Kirchhofer, 
was the uh, owner of the Cincinnati Cyclones. And when you graduate in May, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, I almost kind of like to think of it like hockey chose me a little bit here because I love doing baseball. Love it. So you didn't go into it wanting to be a hockey guy? No. I wanted to be a broad. I actually, I truthfully, truly thought I, I would be more, more baseball. How about and that? Then I, I just I, always assumed you were hockey no, through and through. I would, I, I called the first game I ever called was Miami versus Michigan. We were like either fifth or 15th in the country. Michigan was number two. The line to get in the old Goggin Arena was went all the way uptown. It was crazy. Uh, we beat them on a controversial overtime goal the first night, tied them the second night. Um, one of the calls from one of those very first games I did, I kept on my resume tape all the way up to the NHL. Uh, and, and in the end, you graduate in May, and my college loans started to be due in, 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 in June. Well, I'm graduating, I'm sorry, in October. Baseball teams are already in season. Yeah. So let's put the uh, hockey tape together. So I reached out. I reached out to Doug Kirchhofer, and and I always put at the bottom of so the this cover is the letter. Cincinnati this is the Cincinnati franchise. This is the Cincinnati franchise. No, this, they were IHL at the IHL. time, International Hockey League. Um, I'd, I'd gone in. Actually, I went into the career planning and placement office at Miami of Ohio, and I asked the guy. I said, "What? Um, I want to get a job in broadcasting. How do I get it?" Because I was the business major. I didn't learn it. Like I, I, was, wow. I didn't have the communications professors yeah, right, yeah. to tell you how to put the resume yeah, tape together. Absolutely. And, uh, and he goes, uh, did you ever think of contacting the FCC? And I looked at him and I went, I went, I think we are officially wasting both of our times. <laughs> Everything right. contacting the okay. FCC. So anyhow, in the I, I interned, I, I interned th- that previous summer at KMOX, you know, with Randy Carricker. And so what stuff. year is this? Do you know what year? Uh, what this would, year is? Yeah, this would have been, uh, this would have been like 93. Okay. Um, I did, did, did some work with them. Met Ken, Ken Wilson listened to a couple of my tapes. You know, th- throughout the years, he 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 was nice to do that, um, and 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 throw some pointers out there, um, and 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 so was, were all the other broadcasters that you had a chance to meet. Uh, that's why you always pay that forward. Anybody sends me a tape, I I'll listen to it. Couldn't agree with you more. And um, uh, and, and critique it. And so I ended, I sent a note, and and what I did was at the bottom of each cover letter, I sent it was one line that said, "Look, even if you don't have an opening, I'm just starting out. If you have five minutes, just to chat." I'd like to learn more. That's a smart play. Was and, that your own intuition to yeah, do that? So, really? That's a smart play. So they, uh, Doug Kirchhoff, I sent this letter to Doug Kirchhoff, and I had a longtime broadcaster there who's still doing hockey, maybe somewhere in Indiana, but it was by the name of Terry Ficarelli. And I, and I knew this, did a little research. But Doug, Doug sent me a note that said, we don't have an opening, but I, I, I'd be more than happy to have a conversation with you. Um, our schedules didn't line up for about two weeks. Now we're in exam time. And they had a playoff game. I think it was against Fort Wayne. Cincinnati Cyclones against the Fort Wayne Comets. So I called them up real quick. I said, I'm coming down to the playoff game. If you got a few minutes to meet before, and I, I, at that point I had not bought a ticket. <laughs> I go, but I figured it was, I go, if you have a few minutes to meet, love to meet with you. He goes, perfect. I'm like, okay, I better get down to Cincinnati. So I, you know, it's only 45 minutes from Oxford, right? So I drive down there. I get down there about three in the afternoon. I buy a ticket, okay? And I'm sitting in a parking lot for two hours, making sure I'm not late. Go in and I meet him. And we're sitting on folding chairs in a stairwell at the arena. God. And we're talking. And during that time, while we were playing schedule tag, their Birmingham affiliate decided to change broadcasters. And Doug Kirchhoff was part of it. He says, I like your tape. Uh, I'm going to send the tape down to Art Clarkson there in Birmingham. 
He goes, I want you to give him a few days and then call him. So I called him up. Art said, come down for an interview. I got offered the job. A week later, I moved down to Birmingham, Alabama, and, and that's how I got started. Wow. So then, so that again, quick. just luck. It was just it was just wow. pure luck. But as you said, you had to put yourself in that position. There were some subtle moves there, I think, with the cover letter and also making sure that you were there and meeting a guy in the effing and stairwell. It, and it's, and it's saying, I'm going to, okay, I'm coming to the playoff game, even though I hadn't planned on it. I said, I'm coming and going and making sure you got the ticket to get in. So he goes, well, no, I bought a ticket, you know, and there, there are right, things right, that right, you do. Right, 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 right. So right. after, I realized after two years in Birmingham and learned a ton from Art Clarkson, Steve Chapman, and, and the guys I worked with, um, you know, Chappie now here with the Blues yeah. with us, uh, that um, I was like, okay, it's time to get out of Birmingham because somebody had called into an all-sports show at like 6.30 in the morning in the middle of the summer and said, how fast does this Alabama recruit run the 440? And, and, I, and, I, and I, I remember specifically thinking, if that's the first thing you're thinking about at 6.30 in the morning when you're pouring milk on your Cheerios, you know, and it was time to move on. So I blanketed the IHL and the American Hockey League. I, I mill merged one night. Uh, and it, it was actually, it was after the, there was a great game between a, a, a Pittsburgh and Washington, a four-overtime game. And, and I watched the whole game on ESPN. I went into the office the next morning. You're up till like two in the morning watching this thing, right? And, and I go, what a game. And nobody else in the office at that point had watched it. And I went, okay, I got to go find some hockey people to be around. And, uh, and so I, that night I, I, I mail merged and sent 60 tapes out. So at that point, you know, you're going from cassette to cassette, right? So I stayed up all night. I made 60 cassette tapes, put resumes together. Mail merged with with contacts for every team in the International Hockey League, every team in the American Hockey League, and I got two phone calls. One was from Bob Strum, who at the time was the general manager of Las Vegas in the IHL. He says, I don't have an opening, but I just want to let you know I got the letter that you intended to send to the guy in Long Beach. I said, I appreciate this phone call more than you know. I know that's two jobs I'm not going to get, okay, because I had slid it into the wrong envelope. But I laughed about it. And Tuesday, when, when, you're, when you're lucky enough to run into Bob Strum, he became, he's become one of my favorite people because of that. When I got to the NHL and then met him face-to-face, told the story, he remembered it. Was, so many it people was great. would just be like, how about this clown? And they and just throw it away. away. He Absolutely. actually called me and, and, yep. and did that. Then the other one I got was Springfield, Massachusetts. And honestly, I get this voicemail from Bruce Landon on when I got home from work one day. I didn't even remember sending a tape there. I went, where? What league are they in? And I'm going, what league are they in? So I had to go back. I'm like, oh, all right. Because literally, like I said, I was just, I mean, I was just typing things in all night, making tapes. Uh, and and so sure enough, that job came in and, and, and it worked out. I was in Springfield for one year when the St. Louis Blues job opened up. And they hired Dan Kelly Jr. I did not send a tape in. And I... I just didn't feel I was ready. I didn't feel I was good enough. And like, I'm talking to my dad uh, about this, who, you know, is my best friend. And I, and I, and I, I said, dad said, are you going to, I said, dad, I go, you only get one chance to make an impression. I go, I don't think my tape's good enough to, to do that. And if I don't, now, if I get it and it open up later, I may never get a chance to listen. God, these, and, are, and one, these, are, these are nuanced yeah. thoughts at a young age and smart plays. Well, or stupid, because in the case, like, who knows? Who'd have known that he would have left three years later? Yeah. Okay. He could have had this job for 25 yeah, okay. years, yeah, yeah, and I'm right. never coming I'm back. I'm doing results-oriented. This is bad poker analytics so, right now. So you, you just never know. But, again, this is how things work out. Three years later, he's he gets the TV job, and this job opens up. I send the tape in, go through the process, and and 
Did you, you know, feel you were ready at that time? Yeah, there was a game. There was a game the year before. Well, two things happened. There was a game the year before. Um, I just kind of like things clicked. Because you know what happens, Tim, is when, when you knew this, when you, whether you were on TV or whether you're hosting a radio show, um, you're going to rely on the influences of everybody you listened to that you thought was good before. And then you're going to realize, I can't be Jack Buck. I can't be Dan Kelly. I can't be Mike Shannon. I can't be Ken Wilson. I can't be Joe Buck. I can't be Bob Costas. I can't be Dan Deerdorf. I can't be these people. I can't Bill Wilkerson. Bill Wilkerson was just awesome calling football, right? I can't be, I can't be Bill Wilkerson. You know, you practice calling a game, you're calling a baseball game at Miami of Ohio, the ball goes over the wall and you go, adios. Okay, well, okay, I'm not Jack Buck. It doesn't work, right? And, uh, um, but something clicked and I just got comfortable in my own style. Mixing in humor, the play-by-play, making a mistake and being cool with it, you know, and being fine with it, but still hopefully delivering an entertaining product. That year, the Phoenix Coyotes, who were our affiliate, um, and I knew their assistant GM pretty well when he would come into town. Their color guy went to coach at, at a junior tournament. And so they called me up and said, hey, Chris, will you drive from Springfield down to Philadelphia and, and help Kurt Kielbach do our game in Philadelphia? Holy cow, I, get to help. I mean, I was going to do color, but I get to be on an NHL broadcast. Are you kidding me? Great. I jumped in the car, drove down to Philly. Um, the Coyotes were on a three-game road trip. They were awful for eight out of nine periods. The one period they played well was the second period of his game in Philly. At that morning skate, uh, and and like their TV guy Doug McLeod was just excellent to me. You know, just as an affiliate, like he he was such a great guy for advice. Um, but Kurt Kielback looked at me and he goes at the morning skate. He goes, "You take the mic during the second period. Do the play by play." So I didn't sit down the rest of the day. Got back to the hotel, called my dad. Go, you aren't going to believe this. Well, again, Keith Kachuk scores a goal from. Jeremy Roenick, that was the first NHL goal I ever called. Oh, pretty nice, right? uh, pretty nice okay. there. And and I nailed that period. Like I, I I never did. I called my dad up. I go, I nailed one, you know. And and they're like, I did the game the other night. I don't feel like I nailed the period. Okay, this one, you know. And and so and that was actually the resume tape that I used to get the Blues job. Wow, was that was NHL wow. players mixed in there? And uh, so. Another thing when it comes to paying it forward, to this day, I will take and have done it. Uh, guys that are in the minor leagues, and if they just they, they happen to be in town. You know, maybe it's our minor league affiliate and they've come in, you know, and it's a preseason game or it's a regular season game. Uh, John Walton, a good friend of mine, has now been the voice of the Washington Capitals for a while, did nine years in Hershey. Um, his dad actually was my marketing professor at Miami of Ohio. Uh, fun little story there. And, and my favorite marketing professor. Um, and we're in Washington, D.C., and John had just driven. He either, I think he drove Braden Holpe to the game as the backup goalie or what. It's just what you did in the minors, right? You did whatever's asked of you. So he drives the guy to Washington, D.C. We're talking, and I said, have you ever done a game yet? Have you done an NHL game yet? He goes, no. I go, all right, well, here's the game notes. Take the second period tonight. And Jim Woodcock and, and my bosses were always great about this because I asked Jim if I could do this, and he goes, it's your booth. Do it. And it's just a way of always paying, paying it forward from Kurt Kielbach saying, hey, look, you haven't done a game? Here, sit in there. And Chaser's awesome about it. Because what I do is I'll sit there and I'll say, okay, here, and coming up in this period, uh, John Walton, who's been the voice of the Hershey Bears, here's the story why he's in town today. John Walton's going to take you through the second period. And then to make sure that there's no pressure from me or anything, I just tell him, I, I tell him off the air, I said, look, get in, get out. Chaser will make you look good. And 
Chaser does that period with them, and it's awesome. And, we, and it's, I've probably we've probably done this about ten times, really, over the years. What a cool and, thing, yeah. man. That's and, so and, cool. and that's that's just paying it forward because you just you don't know when those opportunities are going to come. That you know? changes people's lives. It changed your life. So I know guys that have been doing minor league hockey and minor league baseball. Uh, Kurt Bloom has been the voice of Birmingham Barons baseball for twenty five years now. Uh, he was, you know, he was there during you know, the Jordan, Jordan the, during yeah. the Jordan run. Yeah. Uh, my first year down in Birmingham was when Jordan was there. Oh, is that too. right? Yep, got to watch him play. I was actually on the air for three. And he did color, kind of joined Kurt for three innings during one of the games that Jordan was was playing in. Um, I did see Jordan hit a triple. Wow! Yeah. I was sitting, I was sitting on the third base side, front row, and he hit a triple. So I, I, I can remember him like with big lanky legs running around to come through on a triple. Those so he, weren't common. He didn't get many hits. <laughs> yes. So I saw I saw something unique. Um, you know, but but guys like Kurt are just passionate about broadcasting, and just has you know never had a chance and just never gotten that lucky break to to call to be a major league baseball announcer. Yeah. You know, other great guys like you know Bobby Crawford with the Hartford Wolfpack for years and was with Binghamton and stuff, and still Don Stevens in Rochester, long time. Voices of 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 teams and cities that were would chase a dream and, and didn't get lucky yeah. like like I did, um, you know. If you if you help give those guys a moment, you know, what and then maybe they use that moment right. and get that job, which is what happened. which is what happened. So, so when you were when you were looking for that Blues job, I mean, of course you were always looking for it, but when you're now applying for it, yeah. Like the thing I say about when I got the job at KMOV, I was in a living hell in Little Rock, and I was considering not even bothering sending the tape. Not because I didn't think I was right. I've been arrogant since I was like two years old. So I thought I was, <laughs> but but I, I was so broke. Arrogance that, and confidence are two <laughs> different things, all right? Yeah, exactly. Over here is yeah. arrogant, over there with you is confident. Uh, but I, it would cost $3.50 to send the tape. And I'm like, man, I don't know if I can spare the $3.50. And right. I'm 20, just turned 23 they're not going to hire me anyway, but maybe they'll see it and go, in a couple years, when we have an opening, we'll hire him. So that's why I sent the tape. And I was, it was stunned when they called me and said, we really like it. We're going to fly you up for an interview. But what I was thinking at the time, and that's why I'm curious what your story is here, because I don't know your story uh, of how you got it and what all happened, is I was so miserable in Little Rock. There's all kinds of crap going on that I would have gone anywhere, much less the place that I wanted to go. And, oh, my God, I'm this close. And what happens? And you start to question whether or not you should be doing this. Oh, I'm thinking to myself, what happens if I don't get it and I'm this Uh close psychologically? I remember I was talking to a news director in Pensacola. You I know, still have the rejection letters from NHL teams. Do you, is it a motivator? Is it a motivator? Uh, well, not anymore. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I guess we're good nope, at this point. I'm, you know, 18 years, we're good uh, at this point. You, you know what? Um, so my question is, how did it all, like, were you a finalist of like five? Did they call you and say, we want you? I don't think I got a sniff anywhere until this. Um, I've got a rejection letter from the Florida Panthers sitting in an old folder at home. Um, one of my great disappointments... And I say that somewhat tongue-in-cheek, but truthfully, I, I thought I'd get a response here. When the Nashville – so I'm in the American League for four years. That's the, like the AAA level. Uh-huh. Three years running. There have been a couple of NHL jobs opened up, but they were getting filled by the studio hosts. They weren't getting filled. Nobody in the American League got a, got the job. Huh. It wasn't filled by a guy that had, had right. been doing it, right? It was taking, oh, we've got a guy that's been hosting our pregame shows. We're going to let him do the play-by-play. Okay. Um you know, and and that's that's that was what, and it started to get frustrated. Guys like Dave Gosher's 
probably my closest friend in terms of the broadcasting side of things um, from other broadcasters around the league. And, and he and I were in the East Coast Hockey League the same time, the American Hockey League the same time. And in 2000, he got the job in Boston. He's from Providence, so essentially his hometown. And I get the job here in my hometown in St. Louis. Uh, he's now the, he this year became the TV voice of Las Vegas. Um, you know, we're sitting there going, wow, like what's it going to take? That, so at the end of my third year in Springfield, the owners came to me and just through working things, they wanted my opinion on some, a few things, how we were doing things. And I said, I'm just your broadcast. He goes, no, we asked you to do this. So they came back to me and they said, we want to offer you the job as director of marketing for the team, but we don't think you can broadcast and do this job. So but we know, you know, you're serious with Christy, now my wife, and uh, we're going to offer you a deal. We're going to give you a raise. It's allow you to get settled in with her, but we think you can do this job. So I came home to St. Louis to think about it. Sat in the upper deck at Bush Stadium, you know, last row of the upper deck behind home plate. Really? Honestly, got drinking a beer. Uh, that's what that was your thinking. That, that was that. I, that's you know, I oh. used to I used to take I used to take a clipboard. I think I still have this in a trunk at home, but I used to take a clipboard down to Bush Stadium. You'd pay five bucks, go sit in the upper deck. I'd apologize to a couple people next to me if I'm a little too loud in her tape recorder. And I had taken all the box scores from the night before because the internet didn't exist for this, right? I tape it to the clipboard and I would sit in the upper deck practicing play-by-play at Bush Stadium. So smart. And uh, um, a lot of guys have was, stories that they did that, but you actually can yeah. cite when and where you were doing and it. There, so, so I came home, I sat in the upper deck, thought about it, talked to my dad a little bit again, and I went back to the team and said, thanks, I'm not ready to give up the idea of being a broadcaster, and I think I can do both jobs. And I go, here's what I need. Give me a laptop and a cell phone. And they go, nope, can't do both jobs. We need it. So I went back. The next day I came back into their office. I said, I can do both jobs. Nope. Third day. Finally, finally Wayne looked over Bruce and said, what do we got to lose? He seems pretty good. Like he thinks he could do both jobs. We were going to have to hire out anyway, do it. And so that year I took over as director of marketing for the Springfield Falcons and, and we had great sales numbers. Like it was great. It was a fantastic experience overseeing the sales team and, and, and all that. And, um, it, it was a blast. It was that year that I did the game for the Coyotes. Uh, it was at the draft that previous summer, that, that summer. So they offered me this job. The draft is in Boston. I see when we go as guests of the Coyotes sitting in the suite, I see Mark Sauer coming walking up the, the stairs from the Blues table. Well, what the hell? Nobody in the American Hockey League is, has, has moved up in years. What do I got to lose? So I leave the suite there in, in, in Boston. I find him on a concourse. I walk up and I introduce myself to him. Now, I'd, again, I had met him like once before because anytime somebody like that would come into your building, you did an interview with him, so you'd get some FaceTime to, to network, right? And, and you had to kill whole intermissions by yourself anyway. So scouts, general managers, whoever you could do, you know, you would, you would interview him. And uh, I introduced myself. He goes, oh, yeah, you're out there in Springfield. You're at the nest. I go, yeah, yes, sir. And I said, so what's it going to take to work for the St. Louis Blues? Just ask him that right out. Now, here's me at 5'10". Here's Mark Sauer at 6'2", 6'3". And he steps right up. I mean, I'm like looking straight up in the air. And he goes, why the hell would you want that job? I was totally unprepared to answer that question. And, uh, and he goes, he goes, I went, uh, well, uh, I don't Have you ever called a game? Like it's a rush. And he goes, and he looks right at me. He goes, somebody, he goes, where'd you go to school? I said, Miami, Ohio. What'd you major in marketing? He goes, you want some real advice? Yeah. He goes, quit 
and go use your degree. <laughs> now I'm fired up. And I'm going, well, I kind of am using my degree. I just got, you know, I just became director of marketing for the hockey team on top of this. And he goes, he looks right at me and he goes, somebody that works at Procter & Gamble would be far more valuable to me than you would be. Wow. Okay. How about this? All right. This is on the like, concourse. Uh, yeah. And I'm, I'm just like, I'm crushed. Okay. On my drive back to Springfield from Boston, 90 miles, I called up Bruce Landon and said, I quit. Like, look, look at this tone. Bruce goes, got an idea. Why don't you sleep on it? We'll talk tomorrow. Okay, so I calmed oh down. Oh, my God. The conversation was sour. You drive back oh, to Boston yeah, like, and you I, quit. Well, oh, my I, God. I called Bruce and I said, what am I doing this for? Like, what, what am I How thinking here? at this point? Um, I'm 28. Still 20, okay. 28. And I go, what am I doing this for? Like, it just it was. Now, here's the thing. Mark Sauer was one hundred percent right i agree actually i'm, I'm okay and i agree with that he was a hundred percent right now so here's what i did so i wrote i was so fired up i wrote a letter Are you to piss what's your oh, emotion oh yeah pissed? i'm pissed and everything who so are you I, pissed at though uh i don't know okay <laughs> i'm uh, kind of mark sour me at this point i'm questioning everything right i just didn't i didn't expect that response and i'm pissed at myself because i wasn't prepared to handle that response uh, here i had i had this big ball moment Decided I'm going to show some sack and boom, here you go. So, and then I'm, now I'm running away, you know, like, you know, just squeaking, uh, you know, like a mouse. So I get back in that Sunday and I write a letter. Hey, just so you know, big guy, here's the deal. I'm doing this. I'm using my blanking degree. Boom, boom, boom. And so I call up Doug McLeod and I'm talking to Doug McLeod about this experience. And Doug at the time was doing TV for the Coyotes. And Doug says, did you write that letter? He goes, yeah. He goes, okay, print it. I said, I did. He says, okay, you got a hard copy? Good. He goes, delete it off your computer. <laughs> he goes, do it now. So I delete it off. He goes, okay, now you got that hard copy in front of you? He goes, crumble it up and throw it in the trash. I do agree not with send Doug that also. thing. I right? agree with Sour so and Doug, Doug McClellan. Doug, <laughs> Doug was great. All right. So it's good advice. So fast forward through, through the year. Uh, John Hadley is writing a newsletter at the time. I don't know John from Adam. But as a St. Louis guy, I'm one of the guys that subscribed to it, and I read this thing in this newsletter that says Dan Kelly Jr. may be considering the Columbus Blue Jackets TV job. Then I hear these rumblings about KTRS. I'm, I'm, at, I'm at the Hartford Civic Center for a minor league hockey game. I'm trying to call up, and I don't even know who in the world is going on here, right? I leave a message for somebody with the, with the blues. Donna, actually. She never returned my phone call. Last week, I gave her grief for this. Okay? Because she's, she's, Donna's one of the greatest ladies in the world. But Last I, I, week, you gave her grief? Oh, yeah. Last week, I was telling the story. It's been 18 years. I said, I said I'm, I, you, you I held on somebody, to it that long. Yeah, I was telling somebody in the office, like, I'm going to tell you a story about Donna, Donna Ferguson not returning my phone call. All right? And she shouldn't have returned my phone call. All right? And, and, then, and I had called Jim Holder. And Jim Holder took the phone call. And Jim Holder says, you know, he's got the voice of oh, God, yeah, right? Oh, yeah. He goes, he goes, well, I don't know, but he goes, that's going to be a decision by the blues. I go, okay. I came home. I got one week's vacation. I came home uh, that late July. Uh, I'm waiting in the parking lot at Union Station to go in and meet Mark Halsey, who I had connected with because he was the one that helped yeah. allow me to do that one period for the Coyotes. And my dad calls me up. He goes, did you see the paper this morning? No. He goes, Dan Kelly is going to Columbus. The night before, I had looked at my dad and said, look, if I'm going to ever get an NHL job, it's not going to be here in St. Louis. He goes, why not? I go, why would he leave? Okay. That's the conversation you had the next morning. He's leaving. I had one resume in town. I had done two internships for Lisa Bedian. 
who uh, um, I to this day think the absolute world of. One when she, I did an internship uh, in high school for Lieutenant Governor at the time, Mel mm-hmm. Carnahan. Mm-hmm. And then again, uh, she actually helped open the door of the internship at KMOX. And then I interned for her at Channel 5. And for that brief little window, I was doing some copywriting before I got my job in Birmingham. Wow. And she had on her desk my only resume in town. This is a Friday. Um, at some point for this podcast, you're just going to have to edit this story so it doesn't bore people too much. <laughs> I got to right? tell you, I, okay. I, 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 but, the buildup is fascinating how we're going to so, get here. So they, uh, I call up Lisa. She's out of town. But she said, the resume's on my desk. So I go over to Channel 5. They won't let me in, to, you know, right, through security. Right, right, to get right, right. I looked at the guy. I reached and looked at security. I go, here's my wallet. Here's my car keys. Here's everything. That resume is on her desk. She knows about it. I've got to go get it. Take everything. And you can keep it until I get back. And they go, okay. So they take me back. We find the resume on her desk. Uh, some coffee had been spilt on it. Perfect. So my Aunt Joan was working at a print shop, I believe, in the Olivet area. Oh, my I drove from God. I drove from Channel 5 to there. Joni, can you make a recopy of this, get this cleaned up? Uh, you know, the, she goes, yep, no problem. Well, she did that. My brother Jim was in the front office at the Muni. So I drove to the Muni, typed up the cover letter at, while I was at the Muni. I used to be an usher at the Muni growing up, one of the greatest jobs ever. And then, <laughs> and, then I, uh, and, I, and then I went back, got the resume. I walked it in and dropped it off at the front desk of the Blues. And the woman said, well, Jim Woodcock's here. Would you like to meet him? I said, nope. I had done this once before. I, I, dug, I had gone into... They, they heard an opening with the Indianapolis ice. So I just drove in and kind of sat and the guy said, don't ever surprise me like that again. I went, yes, sir. And I drove three hours back home. So, <laughs> um, so they, uh, uh, said, no, that weekend, Jim called, I was at my dad's house. I was preparing just to have a kind of party that I'd have for, with friends. And my sister hung up on him, thought it was a friend playing a joke. Calls oh, back, no! calls, calls back. And, uh, and, I said, sorry, my little sister. Uh, and and uh, so we talked. I was leaving town on Monday, and I said, well, I can stay if you want. He goes, Jim actually said, no, I, I haven't had a chance. I just know you're from St. Louis, so I just want to let you know I got the tape, which I thought was as classy move yeah, as you can get because I had sent tapes out before absolutely. And, and didn't get it. He called on Wednesday. said, you know what? We should have kept you in town. Can we fly in tomorrow? So that oh, Thursday I flew home, we did go. an interview, and then they said uh, – he said, I'll let you know in two weeks. And literally, it took two weeks. Who'd you interview with? Uh, Him, of course. I interviewed with Jim Woodcock, and then they, they sent me over to KTRS, and I interviewed with with Fred Zelanko. That, yeah, uh, Fred. I don't know if that old Chinese restaurant is still there before you get to Westport off a of page on the right-hand side there going west. But we, we had, we had lunch there. Um, and, then, and then we just – and then we waited. Um, and two weeks later – Two weeks. Two weeks, two weeks later. You got but uh, all right, now I will – I will tell you, I'll make the story even more interesting. That Saturday that when it got announced, Bernie Miklas wrote a column, and he listed a whole bunch of names of guys that could be potential replacements for Dan Kelly. And, and I wasn't on it. Why would I be? Nobody would nobody know what I was doing, right? But you got to do a little PR here. Okay, so that Sunday, I wrote three different letters, sounding like three totally different people. I called up three of my buddies. I go, here's the deal. Here's the email address. I want you to copy this into your email address, and I want you to send it off to Bernie Miklas. 
So they did. I don't think I've ever even told Bernie this. I did. I think I finally did tell Jim Woodcock this. So I come in for the interview and Woody didn't want anybody to know that I was coming in for the interview. So we're going to put you at a hotel. I said, don't, don't spend money. I'm going to go stay with my dad and I'll, I'll come up with another reason why I had to come back, you know, see a friend or something like that. So it was great. Uh, and as I get done with the interview, he says, again, we don't want anybody. We want to keep this quiet. And so I figured, geez, maybe this interview went pretty well. Yeah. And, uh, so that was on Thursday. That next Saturday, after it was told to keep it quiet, there's a little blurb in Bernie Miklas's Bernie bits that Saturday saying, "Hey, here's another replacement." And I went, "Oh, oh my oh, gosh, I oh, just screwed myself!" Oh, right, ah. and I didn't know like this. I'd done this, and I'm like, "Holy cow!" And, and you know, like some friends, some some of his buddies brought it to my attention. Boom. So now I gotta like I call up Woody, and I went, "I had some friends. Some friends." sent that letter to Bernie Miklas. I, I, I've not told anybody I was in town for this interview, which is 100% the truth. Those friends sent the letter. I didn't. And uh, I wrote it, but they sent it. Okay. And, and, and you know, and this. And he, Woody goes, yeah, no problem. We're all good. And then literally the phone rang two weeks later. And he uh, said, can you come back to St. Louis? I did. Sat down in front of him. He says, he goes, well, we'd like to offer you the job. I said, awesome. And we're just kind of waiting. And I said, well, offer it. He goes, you want it? I go, yep. And that's how we. Uh, oh my that's how, god! That's how it's long-winded. It's a, it's a fun no, story. But I it's, love the story. So, so you get that. I mean, I remember calling my parents to tell them I'm coming home from Little Rock, and they knew yeah. how how the, the the mess of a situation it was. But to just be able to call your parents and say you're coming home, it's it's yeah. like when you know when you probably get a chance to interview a guy who just got called up. Mm-hmm. You know, and you you want to hear that story. Who'd you call? It's a staple yeah. question. And, and, and when did they call? But and, it's a great story yeah. every single time. So how did it go down? So you're able I, to tell your family. Uh, obviously, Dad knew that I was back in town. And they, they weren't going to bring me back in town. They didn't offer me the job over the phone. They were not going to bring me back in town to say, thanks, but we're not giving you the job. So you had a, you yeah. had a good yeah, 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 feel yeah. about it. Um, and, and he said, uh, Jim Wilkett said, well, would you like to know who you're going to broadcast with? Go, yep, and he picks yeah, up the phone. Spots he, were open. he picks up the phone and he calls Kelly Chase, and he goes, "Kelly Chase, meet Chris Kerb." Now, we, Chaser and I had actually met once before in Hartford, um, and uh, when, when I went down to watch the Blues play with a buddy of mine, and so, um, but uh, that—that's when it happened. They said we want to introduce you guys as the team tonight on KTRS. So I said, "Can my dad?" Uh, my mom passed in '93, uh, so. I said, can my dad come into the studio? So dad sat in the studio when we did it. And then we had a, uh, had all my friends and family and we just kind of had a fun party, quickly planned impromptu party over there as Ozzy sports bar, you know, with, with everybody. Uh-huh. And, and, uh, two weeks later I was, you know, moving home and, and we were off and running Oh my! and stuff. God. So it, uh, uh, it, it, it just, just had worked to be the that great, well. It had to be the great. It had to be the greatest. It had to be the greatest. Yeah. Oh, it's a. It, it still is the greatest. I, I and I don't. I'm. I'm. I'm not saying that that is philosophical BS or corny crap. It. It's. It. It's. You go down to the arena every day. I go to a practice when I go to watch practice and stuff. It's not lost on you what it took to get here, what a privilege it is and lucky to be here, especially now 18 years in, to be back home around family and friends, to uh, be married with three great, just awesome daughters, you know, and, and all of that comes to fruition. And 
you it's not lost on you every day you go to work. That's why you protect the hell out of it. You dedicate yourself to working your butt off to not let one of those other guys that wants your job no. come and take it. No. You know, not the same. That's not an insecurity. Teamers say, we want to make a change. going to make a change. I'm at a point in my life. I'm like, okay, what's next? Yeah. You know, but, uh, uh, it, you know, that doesn't mean you're not crushed or disappointed, but you know what I mean? But, um, but it, yeah, it, it, it still is awesome. You know, I, I looked at Alex Ferrario last night. I go, dude, we're broadcasting hockey on a game day. <laughs> there, there you go. Yeah. I'd still, yeah. And, and, still and you still that, get yeah. there. My dad, uh, listens to almost every game. Uh, he'll send me critiques. I love it. You know, He'll, he'll, uh, one of the early games in Phoenix, I couldn't say Branko Radovojevic to save my butt. And I got a voice message from my dad. Hey, it's Radovojevic. It's not that hard. Spit it out. You know, and, uh, you know, and, and he sat, uh, my very first, the very first Blues home game. We had a, that back in 2000, we had four road games, a 10 day, four game West Coast trip. And then we came home for a home game and dad sat in the booth with me for that first home game. Um, still my, probably my favorite moment. That had uh, to and, just be an incredible uh, moment. It's just that, yeah, to be able to experience that. Hope you're enjoying this conversation with Blues play-by-play man Chris Kerber, and I can tell you somebody who is an absolutely huge St. Louis Blues fan, and that's James Carlton. James Carlton, the name on the James Carlton Agency, a State Farm Insurance agent with an incredible staff right there in Webster Grove. So when you see all these national advertisements or the people who can supposedly save you money. Why not do business with somebody who's local here in the St. Louis area, but also somebody who is committed to giving back to the community? As a matter of fact, the Wednesday before Thanksgiving, uh, head on up to the Webster Grove Starbucks between 7 a.m. and 8 a.m. And as a way to give back to the community, uh, James is going to pick up the tab. That's what he's going to do. And also on December 16th, he does free gift wrapping. You don't even have to be a customer. And if you come into the office, uh, then you will... Uh, if you if you can, or encouraged to uh, give a donation to Cardinal Glennon. It's a local uh, State Farm insurance agency, and it's not just like, oh, he does nice things, so let's make sure that we do business with him. No, 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 no. Uh, the Carlton Agency, James Carlton's agency, has achieved the chairman's circle two years in a row, and that's like the Lombardi Trophy of State Farm agents. Only two agencies in the St. Louis area can say that. They're a strong supporter of the local community, as you heard, but they're also going to be able to save you money. Text QUOTE, Q-U-O-T-E, to 314-961-4800, and one of his incredible team members will reach out to you or visit carltoninsurance.net. And if you check him out on Facebook, you will see all these reviews of the positive experiences people have had with the James Carlton Agency and that. Gives you an idea of the kind of business that he runs. It's a massive team of seven. If you need something, it's going to get done. And it's an in-house customer satisfaction specialist for claims. It's all at the James Carlton Agency. You need to get insurance as it is. Why not make the switch to a local business that's a supporter of this show and also of the local community and also represents the number one company in the industry? The James Carlton Agency. Text quote to 314-961-4800. And one of his incredible team members will reach out or visit carltoninsurance.net. If your insurance costs a leg and an arm, then call James Carlton State Farm. The one thing that I would imagine, I don't know if it can ever compare when you're able to, to share that with your family, have your dad there for your first call of the St. Louis Blues, not just any NHL franchise. That would have been special. Yeah. But to be the St. Louis Blues, 
would be if you can be on the call of that moment when they win the cup. You've had to allow yourself to think about it. I mean, hell, it's every day. You've had, yeah, there you go. Yeah. I don't know you what your that, first year they went to the Western Conference Finals, right? Right. Yeah. Yeah. But at that time, Ken Wilson was still doing the radio when there was no TV. So I had slid oh, over. Right. I, I would slide over and do the intermissions. Oh, the first three years, all right, uh, until all right. Kenny left, when when there was no television, God, Kenny would slide over and do the radio. TV, but yeah, all right. 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 Um, at, at that point in time, uh, you do, and you wonder how you're going to call it. So you don't have... No. Uh, and you, don't, and you know what? I, for the people, because I know you knew what I was going to say, yeah. the rehearsed call for people who don't the rehearsed call. Because you can't... You can't. You can't. I agree. It comes off I hollow. Mean, Jack Buck said about Colin McGuire Planet 61. Maris. Exactly. That inter- and listen, I'm telling you, that interview that he did, hearing him talk about him not liking that call because it had been scripted, and Joe Buck talked about yeah. a scripted call in his book. Um, very rarely does that, you know. Yeah, I agree. Does that work out? So I, I don't know. I don't know what it will be. Uh, but you want that moment. You know, people ask a lot, you know, well, do you want to do TV? I don't know. Yes, sort of, just because it's another challenge. But here's the one thing I know. If you switch over to do TV anywhere, right, those guys don't get to call the games at that point in time, mm-hmm. right? They're doing post-game shows. The radio guys are still calling the games. But, yeah, I want to call that Stanley Cup championship and, you know, and be be in that moment because it's, uh, well, frankly, any championship, but – you know, the, the magnitude of the first one, you know, and, and, you know, the blues fan raising the old New York Rangers side of now I can die in peace, right? <laughs> Whatever it may be, you know, people can relate to this as Red Sox or Cubs fans uh, just from a timing standpoint, uh, you know, it, yeah. But I will always think about it. I hope I don't rehearse a call because the one thing you just don't want to do is choke that call up, man. That would be a. That'd be a mess. <laughs> that would. I mean, they, they, they've they, you know 2015-16 season, uh, getting the Western Conference Finals first times. I guess I, I just assumed that you were on the call in 2001 against the uh, Avalanche. It, no, I was doing now, pregame and, and intermissions. You're right. Yeah. Just, that was an incorrect assumption. Uh, and there have been. I always remember you brought up the 2003 series against the Canucks, and a lot of people, a lot of guys like in the Blues organization, go. That was that, the year. That, yeah. Al McKinnis says that. Yeah. Oh, and, yeah. And, and I was covering yeah. and I'm going, well, hell, I covered the President's Trophy team that lost to the Sharks. Uh, I covered the 01 team that lost to the Avalanche, you know, and no, even though they lost in five, those because games were all right there. Because that series went seven. And remember, Colorado and all Detroit the good teams both got, got, got in the beat. first round. Yeah. So like, we were the like best the team remaining. In the Ducks or something in the Western Conference yeah. Finals. I don't even remember. You might know. We, but we were, we were the best team. Honestly, we were the best team remaining, I think, in the West. And, and so McKenna says that was the team, really. They wow. Th- yeah. Scott wow. Mellenby, you talk to them about what that team had. Wow. You know, and that was the one that that they thought really had the best chance. What is, in your opinion, the best team you have called to date? Oh, it had to be that team. That team, really? Wow. Fuck, I mean. When you start naming off the people. When you start naming off the, you know, the Prawner, the McKinnises, the Kachucks, the Mellenbys, uh, Pavel Dimitra. Yeah. You know, and 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 those guys that 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 one was it. Uh, I I think where the Blues are now, uh, they're building something pretty special. Uh, I don't I don't know. I when think it this clicks. is sneaking up on people here. You know, I don't know if we people well, listen slowly, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, but I mean, I, but when we were starting out, you know, talking about it at the beginning of the season, it's like, 
Yeah, looking at the predictions, not too many people even have the Blues in the playoffs. They certainly aren't picking them to win the Central, and, you know, everybody's beat up, so hopefully They've they can hold They've turned over on a the... core of a team while staying competitive, and not just competitive, staying in the hunt. They didn't, they didn't have to go... They went backwards in 06, and that was as much to do about an owner right. selling a team and getting rid of Pronger, you right. know, stupidly and things like that. Um, this, this was, you know, you've gone from Bacchus and Oshie to a point where these guys now in the 30s something to to a team where you're looking and you're going I mean Fabry uh, Jordan Cairo is a prospect this this Robert Thomas these guys in junior hockey are turning something up what well, we've seen a brief glimpse of potentially what Tage Thompson could end up doing here uh, a Sammy Blay is a 6th round pick um you know what we're seeing Vince Dunn do this season you know, Vince Dunn has come in taking advantage of a situation and made it almost impossible for the coaching staff to take him mm-hmm. out of the lineup mm-hmm. if everybody's healthy when Bo Meester returns. Uh, who knows what goes there? You know, Does that force a trade? Does that force another move? They're playing so well. Um, they've, they've changed the core of a team uh, while still being competitive in one of the top teams in the West. Yeah. That's impressive. You've covered, covered, I don't know if that's the right term, you've been the play-by-play guy. During the Quenville area, Let's see if I can monitor, uh, knock off the coaches. Very brief, uh, Kitchen era. Uh, who was with Davis Payne? Davis Payne. That's right. That's what I was going to miss. Andy Murray, Andy Murray, Hitchcock, and now actually when Andy Murray, Davis Payne. That's where it was. I think. I think, okay. I think when Andy Murray, yeah, Andy Murray, Davis Andy Murray Payne. came in for uh, Kitchen. Andy Murray came somebody? in for Kitchen. Okay, then Davis Payne. Then Hitch. Okay, and they get yeah. the playoffs in 09, which was right. like a windfall. Unfortunately, got swept by the Canucks. Still is one of the greatest second-half runs that the NHL that has ever so seen. That was so fun you because were, the you team were, was a doormat for a couple of years. It's early January. You were 15th in right. the West, and, and Chris Mason went off. Yep, that was an uh, that was super fun. If you ever get the chance to ask Chris Mason about that run, do it. It's a, and With him being a broadcaster now in Nashville, the opportunities there. We his, have him his, on. His, I've duly noted. That, his sir. perspective on that run is just outstanding. And then he tells a great story about how he wasn't supposed to play that final game because we had made the eighth seed, but every other game went the way it needed to go. And he's drinking a beer at Coors Field in Colorado with some buddies, not thinking he's playing the next night. And Rick Wamsley called him up and said, uh, every other game went the right way. We got a chance at the sixth seed. You're playing tomorrow. And we ended up shutting out Colorado one nothing that game. And then that led to being... And then that led to the four-game sweep right. at the hands of <laughs> Vancouver. nice to stay in right. the spot. I don't know. I, w- I would have I liked the AC. I liked our matchup better than that Vancouver that one. That Vancouver right. team. Yeah. I remember uh, sitting there when they went. I remember Kachuk skating off the ice like he was so pissed. That I mean, series was closer than people thing. remember. It's like when people talk about the 2001 Western Conference Finals. It's like I think four of the five games went to overtime, if I'm not mistaken. So if you talk to the players in that series... Which one? 01 or 09? 09. Right, this team was on fire, and there was young guys, and it was a mix of guys, and frankly, they almost didn't even know better than what was going on. Right. They just went to the rink, and it was going. Andy Murray did something that screwed that vibe up, in my opinion. And frankly, if you talk to a couple of the players, and if they're honest with you, like they've been with me, they'll back this yeah. up. I call that series the curse of the University of British Columbia. Wow, in where is this going? Because <laughs> we. Get to so we had two games to end the regular season, then we go to the playoffs. We fly to Vancouver. We got a couple days, and you know how the playoffs go: home team skates, visiting team skates, media coaches are watching. Everything was clicking for the Blues at that point in time. Andy Murray decides he wants to secretly work on the power play. So the players get dressed, 
And then without anybody knowing it, he had the buses fired up at the arena in Vancouver, GM Place or whatever it was yeah, called yeah. at the time. And uh, I quit worrying about what arenas are called. They change hands <laughs> so much, right? yearly. Okay. So they, um, we jump on a bus. The guys are all in their gear carrying their skates. And we drive 20 minutes to the University of British Columbia ice rink where he holds a practice to work on the power play. Like, you're going to sneak out of the building on Canadian media? They see it. The coaches there call ahead. And in the arena in the far corner is one of the college coaches charting what we're doing. Because you could, no you know, you, you were allowed way. to watch this. Well, it wasn't so much that. Now, the power play goes like one for 21 or two for 22 in that series. It was a closer series than people think. And had the power play gone, that series maybe goes six or seven. Right? Wow. Darren Pang, even on TSN, was the only guy, but he picked the Blues to win that series. Right? Uh, they, we, we get back. That move was like a shock to the players, like, whoa, we're in something different now. Like, this is serious. Yeah. This is not what yeah, we were just yeah, doing. Right. It, what changed, it yeah. changed their whole perspective. And he goes, and, and, and the players, the whole room got tight. This loose group that went on this amazing run, that. It flipped the switch it, the wrong it, way. Instead of keeping the routine where it was going and just ride it and see where it goes, that move kind of flipped the switch the wrong way, and they went, wait a minute, this is different. Oh, this is serious. And he goes, and the whole room got tight, and it wow. changed the vibe of the entire team. Wow. Wow. Doing that. God. Well, the, the, it was thrilling just to get there, but it's fascinating to hear that because I remember thinking to myself, yeah, just because they got there, this team's actually pretty damn good because they were so hot, like yeah. you said, that second-half run. Hitch has the great run. Uh, they get in there in 12. They win the first-round series, which was the first time they'd won a first-round series, I think, since 2002 against the Blackhawks. Uh, it had been a while. Right. So you get there. Unfortunately, it's swept by the Kings. They're in 13. They're in 14. They're in 15. And we're up 2-0 in both those. Right. And all I of know. them. Yeah. All three, all three years in a row, we're up 2 And by home game fives that just yeah. went the wrong way. Um, how Looking back on the, your first time getting a chance to call Western Conference Finals, that Sharks series— that also was there. It was there. Yeah. It, it, you know, they were actually right there in the second period of that game five, and then things turned, and then, and then San Jose wins it in six. Where do you put that team in that chance? Were you starting to think? Because I remember talking to Chase right before game one. Right. He was telling me a couple of inside baseball things that probably aren't for the purpose of anything, much less uh, this conversation. And uh, and he just kind of had a weird feeling about some of the things, not some of the things, one thing in particular that was going on. Um, and... And I'm like, oh, no, because we all felt such great momentum coming off of, you know. I was hoping that San Jose got upset in the second round because if there was any one matchup that year, I did not want it with San Jose. Both you and Chase were saying that. And the reason reason I did not want that is even though we played some real tight games, and great, I, I love Blues-Sharks games, here or there. If, if fans haven't gone, go 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 to a game in San Jose. Yeah, it's a great I, hockey yeah, building yeah. and. Um, you know, and I and I love the intensity of those games, uh, but when you watch the game, forget the score. We did not play well that year in three games head to head with San Jose. It didn't matter how well we were playing; they just they discombobulated our game, um, and for whatever reason. And that series, even though it went the way it did, even the one game that the Blues won. You, you never felt like they were in I control agree. of anything in there, and and I and that, that series to me, I think that team had that team had the ability to win a Stanley Cup. Okay, that team had the ability. I do believe, without a shred of doubt, that the Blues would have performed in the finals against Pittsburgh better than San Jose did. Again, it's matchup based. 
Ken Hitchcock knew how to coach against Pittsburgh. I mean, Pittsburgh had a hard time as heck beating us. That would have been a great series. Would the Blues have won the cup over Pittsburgh? Who knows? You know, that no one knows that. Um, but I would have liked our chances better than San Jose's chances against Pittsburgh. Interesting. Uh, yeah. More so than, again, that matchup. It didn't feel right going in against San Jose, and it rang true. That whole series felt disjointed, you know, and and that's that's the way it went. But uh, that team and that 03 team in the time I've been here were the two teams that, in my opinion, without a doubt, could have won a Stanley Cup. And you think and he just didn't get the puck luck. Yeah, and that's the way that it goes, unfortunately, yeah. when April rolls around or May, as the case might be. You think about the coaches, Joel Quenville... Ken Hitchcock, Ugh. I mean, that's... The four winningest coaches in the history of the National Hockey League. Joel Quenville, well, Scotty Bowman, right. Joel Quenville, Ken Hitchcock, who just passed, Al Arbor. Okay? All, All four <laughs> coaches with the St. Louis Blues. All three of the four, except for Hitch, after coaching the Blues, went on to win Cups. Right, Hitch won his beforehand. Ninety-nine. Um, this this French this franchise has had a lot of greatness. Um, it's hard to imagine that they haven't won the cup. I mean, it's it's stories like like is Wayne Gretzky turning the puck over at the blue line? You know, it's in me interviewing Steve Eiserman last year because I'd never had a chance to ask him the question about that goal. And he goes, you really don't want to know this. He goes, I just threw it to the net. It hit off the Burt Murray Baron skate. I went, yeah, you're right. Didn't want to hear that. <laughs> you know? I'm, I'm, we'll, we'll edit this I, out. I, 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 had, I had begged flashbacks. A, yeah, I had begged I had begged a bar owner in Birmingham, Alabama to just to let me sit in there while he's closed up watching the double overtime game. Uh. And, you know, like, but those are things like, it's just some things that haven't gone the right way. But I, I, I do feel. the red line. I do feel with this ownership group, with their approach, um, with the moves that have been made, the drafting in the last 10 years that started with spectacular drafting by Jarmo Kekalainen and has just continued with maybe even more spectacular drafting by, um, by Bill Armstrong, that this team is going to be set and could be good for a real while. And where some of these prospects, because you want to have room for all of them, you're going to need some of them to play because in a cap area, you have to have that. Um, where that gets moved for that one key piece, maybe at a trade deadline mm-hmm. that it ends up being the difference maker, uh, remains to be seen. I, I think there is a we're, – we're early in this season, okay? Um, I don't know exactly when this part will air, but so we're, we're, we're 14 to 16 games in, let's right. say. Um, and uh, there is a special vibe to this hockey team really? when you're around it. Really? Yeah. There's there is a closeness. There is a there is just there is a sense and a feel, and I, it's hard for me to really explain exactly what that is in the words. But I just did you sense this in September? Or you're seeing it now after uh, a month. And- I, I've sensed it since from day one of camp with this group. Wow. Um, this group has built in a very short order become a very tight group. And and it's easy to do when you're 10 2 and 1, 10 3 and 1 now, right? But okay, you said so, you saw so it so you didn't have adversity, but it's what they've built now that's going to help them get through some adversity when you hit that three or four game slide, which is, you know, which will happen in this game. Um and, or, you know, you lose another player to injury and things like that. There's um there there's a there's a real good sense and vibe around this team and and you hear it in the room, you see it uh there's there's something special. Will that translate to something in April and May and June? I don't know, but 
I, I can tell you the ride's going to be spectacular. Wow. Well, I'll tell you what, if it does happen, we'll be playing this on loop and saying you're the, <laughs> the Nostradamus of blues hockey. Final thought. When the Blues got to the conference finals two years ago, and, and maybe, I, I, I don't know, well, I mean, yet another 15 years under the organization's belt, I don't recall this being the case in 2001. Maybe people weren't sensing it, although they were coming off a sweep of Dallas uh, at the time, and Dallas had been to the cup final back-to-back years when they did take them out, uh, and you'd vanquish the San Jose Demon in the first round. And then you run into the juggernaut of... Colorado oh, and my. Patrick Waugh and, and yeah, Sackick and Forsberg. And, yeah, yeah, I mean, just, 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 but if I'm not mistaken, Forsberg had the appendicitis and they, they were actually going to get a break there and that they didn't run into him. But either way, you still you were still, dealing with Patrick Waugh and Sackick and that and Ray Bork would have been traded. And it was like destiny, whatever it was. But 15 years later, I recall specifically one of the things, I mean, for the city, for the region, for Blues fans all over the place, how much it would mean. But the other thing that I noticed, and I think it's a tribute to the organization, and in particular the players, is the alumni and how so many guys came back for that Western Conference Final Series, whether it be game one, two, or five, and how much it clearly meant to them. And these are the guys, when you see St. Louis rise in the ranks of youth hockey, who are the ones who laid the foundation for that over the last couple of decades, and how much it means for those guys. Because oftentimes players, you know, I watch the Seinfeld bit, he goes, you're cheering for laundry. You know, it's whoever, whatever sweater they're wearing or whatever uniform they're wearing. But for these guys, whenever they played, whether it be the 70s, 80s, 90s, 2000s, they were back and they are so bought in to that moment of seeing their team get to that moment. I think it just shows you how bad everybody around here wants it. The, the Blues have a deeply personal relationship with the fan base. It may not be as massive as the Cardinals. It's every bit, if not more, passionate. Uh, it's it's the stories of. So, I hear more stories of you know, uh, you know, Barkley Plager was a neighbor of ours, and this stick, and and, and there's there's a connection. I, honestly, those those little vignettes that John Kelly does with the season ticket holders they put on the video board in games, I, I think they're fantastic. Mm. Um, it, it shows there, there's just an amazing passion to this. I think Tom Stillman's ownership group, uh, and it starts with Tom. Tom, you don't call Tom the owner of the Blues. He's the chairman of the ownership group. That that, that sends a message, and he's right. You know, the, he doesn't have an ownership group if all these others, the others investors aren't there. Uh, he has constantly said that he is a he is not the owner of a hockey team. He is the steward of this franchise, taking it until the next one comes along. Uh, it's. It's that coming down. It's Chris Zimmerman's community-first approach. It's what our group vice presidents are doing with their teams from, from Phil and Alex and, you know, and Chappie and Josh and, 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 and how this is going. And, and there's a great vibe on the front office side of things. And you saw it with the picture of the, of the kids trick-or-treating. And it wasn't just yeah. trick-or-treating with players. The whole organization was involved. Um, it's, it's that kind of thing. And there's a great groundswell, uh, the Rams left and who gives a damn. Okay. (laughs) Really at at this point, um, and, and, and the blues and the Cardinals teamed up to fill a void. And there's a great partnership between these two franchises that while yes, in some respects you're competing for dollars at the same time, we also know that we're all stronger together on this. And, and, and through that, a proper relationship, both promoting and everything, the Winter Classic doesn't happen without it. Uh, that, that's all going on. 
you're right. As those playoff runs happen, you, you see more of the Let's Go Blues banners around on this banner program that we created. And, and you just get this stuff going, and, and it takes over the city. We need the effervescence of the volcano to erupt with that championship. And I think it's still going to be a great run if it doesn't happen. I still think you can create amazing excitement. Let's face it, only one team wins that final game of the year. You know, so not winning it doesn't mean the season was a lost cause. Look, enjoy. In today's sports world, too many people have gotten to the point where it's, okay, I got to know if the team's going to win the championship on day one of the regular season. Sit back and enjoy the ride. Mm -hmm. Sit back and enjoy that shot that nobody else in the league has but Tarasenko. Sit back and watch the development, you know, of, of Colton Pareko. And when that shot finally starts ripping the back of the net, sit back and watch what Jake Allen is doing here and enjoy that moment every game. And we'll worry about April when April comes. <laughs> but don't miss out on 82 opportunities of entertainment and fun. And, and it will build. So uh, and, and, and there is that thing. So when that happens, whether it be the alumni that have built the franchise, you know, whether it be people that have called games in the booth, whether it be the fans, the season ticket holders that have been there for 50 years, you know, or, or the ones that have been, that just came on this year, right? Those ones that just came on this year are just as passionate as the ones that have been there for 50 years. They want to be a part of this. And so that's why it was a great slogan that, you know, that, that they're using this year all together. Now, I don't know what that ride's going to be. I don't know where it's going to end, but I do know this. It'll be fun as hell doing it together. And so let's go on a run and we'll see where it goes. Chris Kerber. Enjoyed the hell out of it, man. Thanks, Tim. I appreciate it. So there it is. Chris Kerber with us here for uh, about an hour and a half. Uh, I think that is now the new record uh, for uh, length of interview. I would imagine we'll probably break that at some point. But that's an interview. And I don't know where you're coming away from it. I would imagine you're coming away from it right now going, wow, that was something else. And again, nothing to do with me. I'm just sitting here. I mean, I think if, if, if there was a pie chart... Of words said, I have a little sliver of the pie just because listening to Chris tell his stories of uh, going from the minors to getting that blues job and the background on it. I mean, how about the Mark Sauer encounter in the concourse at the NHL draft? I mean, that was something else. And then seeing him as he's interviewing and and finding out that he is going to be the new voice of the blues. But uh, the thing that really stood out to me is the pause he gave and the emotion he conveyed when talking about the opportunity and if it were to come the moment the St. Louis Blues were to win a Stanley Cup and he would be on the call. Uh, The passion he has for the game, the passion he has for this organization, and the passion he has for the city and the fans who have been through quite a bit, um, clearly, clearly near and dear to his heart. And that was, for my money, a powerful moment uh, in our 90-minute conversation. And then also, I thought, uh, getting some insight into what he thinks of the 2017-2018 Blues and that uh, from the beginning, from camp, from September, he thought there was something special about this team. And keep in mind, this is a team that, you know, a decent number of people had him going to the playoffs, but uh, certainly people didn't anticipate them getting off to the kind of start that they've gotten off to, especially considering the health of the team. And so to see them off to that start and then to hear the guy who calls the games talking about how he sent something special with them, uh, that has to fire up blues fans. So 
grateful to Chris Kerber for his time. Cannot convey enough how much I enjoyed that conversation, and I hope you did as well. A special thank you again to our studio sponsor, thehomeloanexpert.com, Ryan Kelly, thehomeloanexpert.com, James Carlton of the James Carlton Agency, State Farm Insurance, and Gateway Buick GMC. They make this show possible, and we want to make sure that you know that if you're a fan of the show, to follow us on Facebook at The Tim McKernan Show, follow us on Twitter at McKernan Show, and uh, like and review and all of the things that you can do that help the show, they truly do matter. So if you can do that, we certainly would appreciate it as we are now in our second month of the Tim McKernan Show. So thank you to Chris Kerber. Thank you to our sponsors, thehomeloanexpert.com, James Carlton Agency, and Gateway Buick GMC. And thank you, of course, to uh, the executive producer of this presentation, John Seymour. For John Seymour, I'm Tim McKernan. Thank you for listening to another edition of the Tim McKernan Show. Mm-hmm.